Welcome into the Eagle Eye in the Sky football podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. With me, as always, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. We're going to break down the Eagles' huge win over the Washington Redskins this week. Greg, obviously a ton of storylines coming out of this huge division win for the Eagles. You watched the tape. What are some things that you came away with after watching it Monday morning? I thought it was Nick Foles' best game. Maybe his best game is an Eagle. And the reason I say that to me, and I've been watching NFL coaching tape for close to 25 years now, no matter how much the game changes, there's one thing that stays the same, and that is toughness in the pocket in the NFL. There are going to be plays, no matter whether you're Russell Wilson, Michael Vick, whether you're a mover, it doesn't matter, but there are going to be plays where you've got to stand in the pocket, deliver the football, and you're going to get hit doing it. And I thought Nick Foles, and, and let's put aside the, the shot on the interception, you know, the cheap shot on the interception that was penalized, but he stood there and he took shot after shot after shot, and he made some of his best throws in the fourth quarter. And that really shows not only mental toughness, but physical toughness. And that's essential for a quarterback that's essentially a pocket passer. It, just to give you guys some perspective, typically Greg and I will talk. Obviously, we watch the game together on Sunday, and then we typically talk Monday morning and then Tuesday morning as well. Both days that we talked this week, we did not talk about the Eagles tapes. So this is actually the first time that's that we right, talked that's about right. it. Both days we talked about San Francisco. So this is a completely original conversation. I have no idea what he's going to say when I ask him this. But I'm glad you brought up Foles because I pointed out Monday in my column how much, you know, really we saw him throw with anticipation more than yep. we saw the first two weeks. Uh, it was really good to see him really kind of bounce back and have this kind of performance under duress with the issues that he felt early in the season and now come bouncing back and having the success he did inside the pocket. Yeah, and I think that the throw at the end of the half, too, uh, I can't remember every Nick Foles throw from last season, but that was as good a throw as any quarterback could make to Matthews for the second 11-yard touchdown because that was re really well covered by Perry Riley. He couldn't have done anything else. Now, obviously, he had a pause because of the run action in the backfield, but there was not a lot of room there, and that touchdown was made by the throw, not by the catch, because the ball could only be placed in one spot, and Nick Foles put it in that spot. How would you compare this performance, in terms of you know the way that you look at Nick and the way that he plays the position, to a game last year against Oakland, where obviously he set a record, he threw seven touchdowns, really kind of moved the ball at will up and down the field. Right. And really, obviously, there wasn't much adversity in that game. No. He wasn't really hit as much. Whereas in this game, he achieved a lot of success under great duress. And it would require a comeback. Yeah. And I think that's the other element to this is, uh, I, I think when we always talk about Nick, we always want to see him be a little more disciplined. We want him to get rid of the ball quicker. We want him just to be a little quicker in everything he does. And I thought... And again, we won't know. People forget because the Eagles have had great success, and it feels like Chip Kelly now has been here for 10 years when he's in his second year. And, and Nick has what started? Uh, he can't have started more than 20 NFL games right now. No, absolutely not. So, I mean, we f sometimes I think we forget that there's a learning curve. People always ask me this when I do all kinds of different shows, and I always say, hey, slow down. It takes time. It takes time, not only in a new offense, but it takes time for a young player. Uh, and you notice that... You know, not to jump around, but just to make the point, all of a sudden Eli Manning this week looked incredibly comfortable. And and two weeks ago, people were saying he couldn't play the game anymore. Yep. Now, we don't know what happens in the future with Nick Foles, but it's a process. And I thought he was much more decisive. That's what I really liked. He was much more decisive this week. And I don't want to jump around either, but obviously a lot of people were saying the same thing after Monday night. Uh, with Geno Smith, where obviously a guy who's shown flashes, shown the ability to play with right, the pocket, right. shown improvement, and then you know obviously look that first interception he threw, 
awful, uh, obviously. And an so, awful play, and, and, but. and he missed something. He did not have a good game. No. But again, you're dealing with a guy in what his 19th NFL start. Yep. And you know what? People, I heard today a lot of people saying, oh, he's never going to make it. You know, come on. It's a little early. This is, this is a process. A yeah. it, it's tough to play quarterback in the NFL, and it's even tougher when you don't have a great team. Yep, and no question about it. And obviously, the way that Nick played on Sunday was, you know, obviously an inspirational performance. A lot of all of his teammates, if they didn't do it on Sunday, they did it today. This is, you know, we're filming this Tuesday night. They did it today in the locker room after practice. Uh, everybody just really, really impressed with the way he played. Uh, let's go, let's go to the rest of the offense here. Was there anybody really that stood out to you uh, out wide? You know, obviously in the running game they're struggling a bit. Are, right. you, are you worried at all about the this run game? A little bit. I mean, I thought the Redskins did something that I probably wouldn't have expected until I really studied the tape, and I'm sure you noticed it too. They stayed in their base defense yep. against three wide receivers. Most teams will not do that, and therefore they were rarely outnumbered in the box, and it was tough to run the football. Now let me ask you, do you think – because I, I was really uh, surprised by that as well. Do you think that that was more about the presence of Keenan Robinson? Obviously, London Fletcher was in the game more last year. Right. And Keenan Robinson has taken his starting job. A more athletic guy, especially at this stage of his career, a guy who can run. Do you think that that's more uh, an attestment, attestment to him? It could be, but I, I would say to me, they probably felt pretty comfortable with Brandon Merriweather being able to cover basically a, a wide receiver. Right. And. That could be a function of many things. It could be a function of the fact that the Eagles, I mean, Macklin clearly has some speed and some juice, and he looked pretty good this week. He actually looked good through the preseason. And if he gets back and is what we expect him to be, then he gives them a vertical element. But the other Eagles wideouts, you wouldn't really say are fast. So it could be a function of the fact that they felt they could handle the Eagles wide receivers by staying in their base defense and condensing and not giving the Eagles a light box to run the ball because the Eagles did not run the ball very well. What was your th thoughts on uh, on some of these backup offensive linemen that came in the game? I know some of the, you know, they struggled. I, they struggled, especially early on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, now they'll have a week to prepare. I mean, clearly Mulk struggled at center. Gardner struggled all game at, uh, at uh, both tackle positions because he switched over in the fourth quarter to play some left tackle. Um, he particularly struggled in the run game. They're going to have to get better at that. Um, it'll be interesting to see the, uh, what they do against the Niners. The Niners, I'll be anxious to see whether they stay in their nickel defense and keep two linebackers on the field or whether they play dime. They've played both this They've year. they played both, yep. So the question is, do they want to keep Michael Wilhoit, the linebacker, on the field or just Patrick Willis and play with six defensive backs? That, to me, is the first decision that their defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio, has to make. And that's I actually went today and I, I looked at their defense and just tried to get a sense, are there any tendencies that I can kind of write about? Obviously, I've got the show as well. Right. We've got an Eagles game plan that we're, I'm trying to put together. And then also the, the column later in the week previewing the 49ers. And really trying to find a tendency of, okay, when they face 12 personnel, what are they, what are they bringing out? If it's 12 personnel and it's short yardage, if it's long yardage, what down is it? And I'll tell you what, the tendencies weren't really there. They've, they've really kind of mixed up man and zone, personnel packages, and, and really aren't really showing their hand too much at this point. No, and, and the thing, though, that was interesting is until this week against Arizona, they were a team that hardly blitzed at all. Right. And then this week, and I'm sure it's because they're struggling to rush the quarterback with just four yep. in their in their sub packages. They can't get any edge pressure at all. This week, Vic Fangio decided that he had to blitz. And I think they blitzed four times on quarterback dropbacks through the first two games. 
I charted them this week, and on five of Drew Stanton's first nine dropbacks, they blitzed, and I think they ended up blitzing 12 or 13 times total. But they clearly were a more aggressive defense in terms of blitz against Arizona last week. And I, I didn't see the snap counts, but I think uh, I saw more snaps from some of their young pass rushers. Corey Lemonier, who was a second-round pick out of Auburn a couple of years ago. Aaron Lynch, who was a mid-round pick right. out of South Florida. Uh, They're searching. Guys. Yep. But, you know, we kind of did a study at NFL Films, Fran, and maybe you're aware of this as well. The one thing that stands out, and I think this is one reason why teams like to go speed tempo, the speed tempo teams don't get blitzed as much as regular team, regular yep. offenses. And that is a big, big advantage if you can get the defense more predictable and knowing, and, and again, nothing's 100%, but with the anticipation and the expectation that they're not going to really be blitzing, then that gives you a tremendous advantage in how you scheme. It allows you to get five receivers out because you don't have to worry about keeping a back in or a tight end in. So it really helps you offensively as a speed tempo offense like the Eagles are if you pretty much feel comfortable the other team won't blitz. And I'm going to use this as a segue because this is something we saw from San Francisco this week against Arizona where really early on they really – up the tempo a good amount the first couple of drives. They came out in five receiver, four receiver sets, yep. spread the field, and it's something we really have not seen from them in the past. If you didn't know who it was and you were familiar with the Niners prior, you would have said, what team is this? Yep. Because they put Kaepernick in empty sets, 12 snaps of five true five wide receivers, not just a five wide look, five wide receivers. Now, Vernon Davis was out. Their other tight end was out, Vance McDonald. So the question becomes, and we won't know the answer to this till Sunday at around 4.30, uh, is will they do this against the Eagles? They clearly put this in Kaepernick's hands. Their first two drives were both, I think one was 14 plays, one was 12 plays, both 80 yards for touchdowns. Yep. But then our friend Todd Bowles upped the ante with his blitz pressure, and he's among the best in the league with his blitz concept. Those AAA gap blitzes were deadly on Aren't Sunday. they beautiful, too? Oh, They're yeah. so much Absolutely. fun to watch. Yep. And the game changed a little bit. Yeah, no question about it. I, I actually charted, I went back, you, you gave the numbers for Sunday. Throughout the first three games, they were in empty 22 times, and they averaged 7.6 yards per play out of empty. So uh, they've only been blitzed seven times with mixed results. There was right. obviously, you know, if you're going to blitz against empty, you only have five protectors. And the Eagles have shown that they're going to do that. If you come in empty, they're going to bring double-A gap pressure and make you uh, get the ball out quickly. Right, and, and there's a couple of factors when you face a quarterback like Kaepernick, who's by no means polished as a pocket quarterback. But you do have the running element. And you can't discount that, especially in third-down situations. I mean, we've seen the Eagles do that. I remember last year we had this discussion about the Eagles doing it versus Tony Romo because the Cowboys like to go empty last year. But Romo can't move like Kaepernick can. So if it's third and seven, are you willing to pressure Kaepernick knowing that if he breaks your contain, it gets outside or even comes up the middle – Three strides and he has seven yards. He's that kind of runner. So he, he presents a little bit different problem than a more typical pocket quarterback in an empty set. In terms of their ground game, I know I've, I've read some quotes and I, I haven't done a, too much digging on it, uh, but I, I saw that there were some murmurs of people on the offensive side of the ball being upset with how their run game has gone so far. I kind of looked at the numbers a little bit. They're averaging 4.6 yards per carry on all their zone read plays. And on plays where Kaepernick keeps it, it's 3.3 yards per carry. So is this something that you've seen and said, you know, maybe they're not having as much success in that phase this year? I don't think they're committed to it like we've seen in the past. Hmm. Frank Gore carried the ball for the last time last week on the second play of the second half. Wow. 
After wow. that, he didn't touch the football. So I don't see them being committed to it. Now, they may feel Jonathan Martin's been playing right tackle because Anthony Davis is out. He's struggled yes. quite a bit. Incredibly, yes. Uh, the first week of the season, they played Joe Looney at right guard. The last two weeks, Alex Boone has been back. Yep. He's not up to form yet. Yep. So the right side of their all line has not performed particularly well over the last couple of weeks. Yep, no question about it. And the, the one play that I've seen them run a few times, and it'll be interesting to see if they decide to do it after we saw what Indianapolis did last Monday. They run a lot of those tackle over plays. They run power, not oh, as yeah. much counter, but they do a lot of those tackle over unbalanced lines. Unbalanced lines, lines and, and that's with, with um, Kaepernick in the, the shotgun, whether it's pistol, whether it's read option. They have a lot of sort of multiple plays built in to that mesh point. Yep. And you do have to defend that, and you have to play with great discipline because you can't let Kaepernick get clean on the edge. Now, what are, you, what are you taking their passing game in terms of their passing targets? Obviously, their offense changed when we talked about it with Vernon Davis and Vance McDonald out of the lineup. Uh, Derek Carrier, former Eagle, was uh, the starter at tight end this week. They expect both those players to be back uh, on Sunday. Stevie Johnson, Anquan Bolden, Crabtree, Brandon Lloyd is there. Bruce Ellington was a guy we both liked out of South Carolina this year. Quinton Patton was a mid-round pick. They've got some uh, weapons in the passing game. How have they looked through the air? Obviously, yeah. Kaepernick kind of maybe not. I don't want to say limits them. I don't want to you know kill right, them right. too much. But uh, you know, what, what is your take on their? You know, given that they have a number of different targets, it's not really a vertical pass game unless they go with shot plays, which everybody does. Let's say on first and ten, uh, Vernon Davis is probably their their most dangerous vertical threat from the tight end position, and he lines up like Zach Ertz does all over the formation. Um, you know, I think I really like Crabtree as a wideout. I wouldn't call him a true vertical guy, but I think he's really strong on in-breaking routes, strong hands, catches the ball. We know what Bolden is. He's not a guy who's going to run by you, but he can make tough catches. Stevie Johnson's kind of the same guy. I mean, he's, he's a short, intermediate route runner. So despite the fact that Kaepernick has a big, big arm and can certainly drive the ball down the field, up to this point, even going back through Kaepernick's you know, first couple of years as, as a starter, this is not really a truly vertical pass game. No, I mean, even if you look at the, the biggest play that they had last week against Arizona, it was really a catch and run. They ran tosser to the to the. Through the field. You're talking about the 32-yarder Johnson? It was Johnson? a 32-yarder Johnson. Yeah, it was a four-year pass. The, yep, yeah, exactly. He yeah. runs a little bubble outside, and you know they had the, the flow of the defense going the opposite way, and he was able to right. run some guys. So uh, definitely a short to intermediate game right now. Uh, and you mentioned it. Really, the, a lot of their deep balls are going to Vernon Davis. Yeah, and it's shot plays. I mean, that's – and, again, it comes down to now how they're going to play based on what we saw last week. Are they going to put Kaepernick back under center with – uh, you know, let's say two backs or one back, two tight ends, and line up in base personnel and base formations? Or are we going to continue to see Kaepernick heavily in the shotgun with empty sets, spread looks? The bottom line is the Eagles have to prepare for both. That's the one thing that last week did is now the Eagles have an awful lot to prepare for. So we touched on it a little bit. You mentioned, obviously, the Eagles use Zach Ertz in this way. The 49ers use Vernon Davis in this way, where he's going to be the ex-ISO receiver, meaning that he's going to be the lone receiver to the backside where you got three receivers to one side and one tight end split out wide to the other. When you have these kind of formations, and we've talked in the past about how offenses try to dictate what the defenses are going to play, what coverages they're going to play, what formations they're going to line up in, what personnel packages they're going to line up in by personnel groupings, whether it's one back, two tight ends, two backs, one tight end, no backs, five yeah. receivers. Uh, and tonight I want to just talk, touch on just for a little bit how they can dictate 
matchups by formation. Well, that's the trend in the league, three-by-one sets. And if you have a tight end, the Saints with Jimmy Graham, the Eagles with Zach Ertz, a Vernon Davis, uh, I know I'm missing a ton. We don't need to name them all. But if you have a tight end, that Greg Olson is a very good example in, in Carolina. They scored a touchdown on Sunday night, in fact, with, with uh, Olson as the single receiver. And he beat a corner for right. a touchdown, Cortez Allen. If you have a tight end you can do that with, and then you can line three wide receivers up uh, on, on the field side, to the wide side of the field, you present all kinds of problems for defenses. First of all, they have to decide how they want to match up personnel-wise. Because if you play predominantly nickel with two linebackers, then you're going to have a linebacker essentially over the inside slot wide receiver on the three-receiver side. Right, right. Or or you're going to have, if you choose to do it this way, you're going to have to the backside against a tight end in space. A linebacker. A linebacker. So you you have to pick your poison You have to decide. Right. That's why these receiving tight ends are so critical in the NFL right now. And we saw, I mean, Marcus Colston caught it caught a touchdown this week out of a three-by-one, 18-yard touchdown. Graham was the ex-ISO, as you said, and Colston ended up running his route inside against Chad Greenway. A very good linebacker, but a linebacker. Yep, exactly. And that's exactly what happened on the second Matthews touchdown. Even though it was only 11 yards, it was still it was the play action. Matthews ends up running his route on Perry Riley. So, And the other thing about three-by-one sets, which we definitely should mention, is you pretty much get single high safety to three-by-one sets. You don't get two deep shells to three-by-one sets. Exactly. So defenses, if, if you line up in three-by-one, defenses typically will check. The you know, the defensive will change their call and, and check to a single high call. So it might be cover three, it might be cover one, some kind of a single high call with a single high safety in the middle of the field. Right, and that gives you vertical routes that you can run, particularly on the outside. They're tough to cover, depending on the matchup. And that's why you know we've seen the Eagles have tons of success this year going against those single high routes. Jeremy Macklin scored uh, his touchdown this week against cover three. He scored his touchdown against Jacksonville early in week one against cover three on four vertical routes where you're throwing four vertical routes right. and you're flooding the three deep zones, three deep defenders covering four receivers. Yeah, it's, it's really, really difficult to do that. And you're going to see that this week. That's a staple of what the Eagles do. And in fact, uh, the, the Niners struggled with that a little bit last week against uh, Arizona. So you will see Philadelphia. Uh, they do it against everybody. It's not just going to be San Francisco. They line up in three-by-one sets. They're increasingly comfortable with Zach Ertz as the ex-ISO receiver. So you're going to see meaningful snaps of that. It's a staple of what they do. And it's going to be especially interesting because for the most part, from what I've seen anyway, uh, San Francisco is a single high team. They are a team that plays with a single high safety, uh, whether that's Eric Reed, whether that's uh, Antoine Bethea, who they signed in free agency. One of those guys is going to be this deep safety in the middle of the field. And it'll probably mostly be Reed, with few exceptions, obviously. Nothing's 100%. Because Bethea throughout his career has been one of the best run-filling safeties in the league. He's got a great feel for when to attack downhill in the run game. Yeah, and, and the one thing, a lot of people have been killing the San Francisco defense. We, you know, Obviously, for good reason. They, they have been struggling, especially considering uh, the success they've had over the last few years. Really, I, in watching them, a lot of their issues have not been because of skill. A lot of it has been because of you know missed assignments, some bad discipline on the back end, maybe being a bit too aggressive. Uh, certain guys in particular, obviously uh, the, the rookie corner that they drafted in the first round has, has struggled a little bit. Eric Reed, while he looks at it, physically, he looks the part. Absolutely, yep. you know, a big kid who's really flu. You know, in terms of getting downhill, suddenly running the alley, he's 
everything you would want, but he's had some issues coming up a little bit, getting a little bit too nosy with the run game and letting big plays hit him over the top. Well, the biggest issue they've had, and obviously they're not playing the Eagles, is they can't rush the quarterback. I yeah. mean, Alden Smith is obviously gone, and they've been playing um, Ahmad Brooks, who obviously is a starter. He's not played anywhere near as well this year as he has the last two or three years. They're playing Corey Lemonier at um, – pretty much in their sub-package as their other pass rusher. He's really been a non-factor, Fran, up to this point. So they've been working in Aaron Lynch, the Notre Dame transfer who ended up at, um, was it South Florida? South Florida, yep. And he's, uh, my guess is they're playing him before they want to play him, but they, they're looking for a pass rush, which is why they increased their blitz frequency last week. Exactly right. So, Greg, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I'm going to have Dane Brugler from CBS Sports is going to join me to talk some college football, you know, prep some uh, NFL draft, see some guys that he's really high on at this point in the college football season. Uh, real quick before we get to that, anybody that stood out to you this Saturday watching uh, college football? Um, yeah, actually, I was. I watched a good part of the Alabama game, and I know he's a senior and it's his first time starting, but and, and I've seen them a number of times this year, Alabama, so far. I've been very impressed with Blake Sims at quarterback. Now, again, we're nowhere near the NFL draft. I, I haven't studied him hard, but he's obviously in a pro-style system. They mix and match some spread, but it's mostly pro-style. So he has a feel for the three-step drop, the five-step drop, the seven-step drop pass game. He has a feel for the footwork, the timing, the balance, how it syncs up with those kinds of routes. Uh, and that's critical as you go to the next level. So I'm going to be very anxious to see – him continue this year, unless I, I think he's going to be the guy. I don't think they're all of a sudden going to yank him and put Coker in. Coker will get some way. snaps. but yeah. And then when the process starts, I'll be real anxious to see uh, how it plays out for Sims because he's got some movement to him as well. He does. And, you know, it, it's funny because it was pretty much a given all offseason. You know, once the announcement came that Jacob Coker was going to transfer from Florida State to Alabama, that he was just going to come in and win the job, the kid has – pretty much all the tools that you would want. He's got a big arm, uh, showed the ability to have good good ball placement, right. uh, shows you know the ability to, to, to be that guy and just hasn't taken the job yet, whether it's because he, obviously he's only been on, on campus for a month or so leading up to the season. Uh, obviously we don't know that. He's still going to have another year after this. Uh, but Sims has come in and has done a, a really nice job. Obviously he had some fumbling issues here and there. Uh, but obviously, like you said, he's he's had some some success. I mean, now that we get into the SEC season and the games obviously get a little tougher, more intense, maybe a little more adversity, we'll see. But the skill set seems to be, well, to me, it's very intriguing. So I'm anxious to see him play more, and I'm anxious to take a look at him after the season when I get a chance to break down the college tape. No question about it. All right, Greg, thanks very much for joining me as you do every week. Okay, let's get to my interview. I talked with Dane Brugler from CBS Sports earlier today. Joining me now to talk some college football in the NFL draft here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky football podcast, CBS Sports' Dane Brugler, a good friend of mine in the business. Dane, how are you today? Doing well, Fran. How are you? Uh, doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, obviously, we're going into week five now of college football. Uh, it's, a, it's a great time. It's starting to turn into fall here. Who are some guys? Obviously, you just released your, your stock report for this week. Just looking through this list, is there one guy above all that stood out to you above the rest from the, this past weekend? Well, you know, the Mississippi State Bulldogs pulled off a great win in Baton Rouge over the weekend, and one of their defenders really stood out as a guy who maybe entered the year as kind of a, a late-rounder possible undrafted-type guy. But so far this season, he's played a, a much bigger part than that, and that's Preston Smith, a defensive end, uh, pass rusher for the Bulldogs. 
Uh, you know, he's already surpassed the stock total from last year. He's got four, or excuse me, three on the season. Um, against LSU, you know, he, he was a force to be reckoned with. You know, you put him on the outside, put him on the inside. He showed he can rush from the outside, from the interior. Um, just a big, long uh, specimen of guy. He's not quick twitch, but he plays fast, quick in pursuit, um, strong. He, he showed different ways to beat blockers, improved hand usage. So a, a guy that really is figuring out how to use that length of his. And so Preston Smith, a guy who's really helped himself this year and is going from maybe an afterthought in terms of being drafted into a potential uh, late rounder moving up into the middle rounds, a guy that continues to ascend. I feel like Mississippi State just in general kind of flew under the radar. Everyone was talking about the Mississippi schools going into the season. and I feel like more love was going towards Ole Miss, and obviously Mississippi State was the one that came off with the big win early. Uh, what did you see from their quarterback, Dak Prescott? Yeah, and you know, Mississippi State wasn't even ranked going into LSU, and so I think that's certainly going to change now, um, which you know just adds to the hypocrisy with you know rankings and this early and everything. But yeah, you mentioned Prescott. Uh, you know, a name that's been mentioned out there by a few people is Tim Tebow, and it, you know what it fits—just their different skill sets. Um, you know what what their strengths are as a passer, as a runner. Um, Dak Prescott had a few runs that just made the LSU defense. Uh, you know, it looks like they were playing, uh, you know, Louisiana Lafayette. And just the way he was able to barrel through the defensive line onto the linebacker level, and then the DBs couldn't catch up with him, or he just shoved them off. Uh, so, really, Dak Prescott um, really impressed with both his arm and his legs. And, you know, it's it, in the SEC where the quarterback play isn't at an elite level like it has been in the past years, uh, Dak Prescott could emerge as being that you know that all SEC first teamer. Uh, well, to see uh, you know because Mississippi State they're ready to go as far as Prescott will be able to take them this year. Well, staying at the quarterback position, another guy who is a dual threat uh, player on the offensive side of the football, Shane Carden from East Carolina, six two two twenty one. They got the big win against Virginia Tech two weeks ago. Followed it up with another stunner really against North Carolina. Uh, they won, you know, they won big against the against uh, the Tar Heels this weekend. He went thirty for forty-eight, six total touchdowns in the game. What's your take on Carden at this point? Yeah, and I think because of Carden, East Carolina has really shown themselves to be the best college football team in the state of North Carolina. And, and you know, they they did it against the Tar Heels, uh, like you mentioned on Saturday. Carden had a great uh, stat line, and you know, he's really the the engine that makes that that team go. And so. Um, you look at them, the tools are very average, size, um, the, the arm, it doesn't really scream NFL, but he has such a high football intelligence. He's very comfortable in the offense. Um, he sees the field extremely well. And so you can make an argument that maybe besides uh, Bryce Petty at Baylor, there's no quarterback in college football who's more comfortable in his offense than Shane Harden is in East Carolina. And so when you project them in the NFL, like I said, the, the physical skills, they don't necessarily scream NFL quarterback. But to me, he reminds me somewhat of a, a Bruce Gregkowski. And, you know, to some that might sound like a, a negative, but, you know, people don't realize Bruce Gregkowski is a nine-year NFL vet, either as a backup or a third stringer. And I think Harden can carve out that type of career for himself uh, in the NFL. He, he has what it takes above the net. And, you know, he's just passing in the other areas. So Shane Carden, in a class of – this senior class of quarterbacks is not strong. 
Um, it, it's a very weak class, and so Shane Carton definitely helping himself uh, in a weak class of senior uh, quarterbacks. All right, so obviously you, you touched on the, the weak senior class of quarterback. How about a strong, sort of potentially elite, junior class on the defensive line, and one of those guys is Eddie Goldman. He's starting to pick up a little buzz here for Florida State, 6'3", 314, had a big game this past weekend against Clemson. What have you seen from Goldman so far this fall? Well, you know, he he played such a big part in the win over Clemson over the weekend, and they needed him to, uh, especially with Mario Edwards out uh, in the second half with the concussion. And, uh, you know, Timmy Jernigan, he was kind of the, the guy on the Florida State defensive line last year. He bolts early for the NFL. Eddie Goldman, they, Florida State needs Eddie Goldman to step up, and so far he has. He's outstanding, whether it's power, whether it's quickness. I mean, he's shown the ability to not only take on blocks and plug run lanes, but also be a threat in the backfield. And he showed that against Clemson. He had two pivotal plays late in the game with a forced fumble um, right before uh, as Clemson was driving down the field to potentially try a go-ahead field goal at the very least. And then he had the, the sack in overtime that really put Clemson in third and long and, and just made it impossible for them to to do anything with the ball. So Eddie Goldman, a guy who, and I tweeted out last week, um, but everyone I talked to close to the program says he's going to the NFL. And after the Clemson game, I, you know, I didn't see anything that would you know, contradict that. So I think Eddie Goldman, a guy, he's a junior. Look for him to bolt early for the NFL. And, you know, we're going to be talking about is he better than Jernigan, who ended up going on the second day. Is Goldman going to go higher? And so uh, that's kind of going to be the dialogue. Uh, Eddie Goldman, one of the best players in the Florida State defensive line. Um, I know the NC State head coach uh, came out and said he's the best defensive tackle of college football. So Eddie Goldman, definitely a name to keep on your NFL radar as we move through the college football season. Another name that's really jumped out on the radar uh, early on this season a wide receiver, he, you had him on your risers list last week. He responded by going 10 for 173 in a touchdown against the Oklahoma Sooners this Saturday, and that's Kevin White from West Virginia. Obviously, he's got the confidence from quarterback Clint Trickett. What have you seen thus far from White? Where, where do you think his stock is right now in this receiver class? It's amazing. You know, I, there Every year there are prospects to um, you know, just make you go, wait a minute, who is this guy? And Kevin White is one of those guys this year, um, you know, watching during the college football season. Every fall, there's there, there's a few of those guys, and Kevin White absolutely qualifies. In four games this year, he already has 42 receptions, 633 yards. His lowest output was against Alabama when he had only nine pitches. It just, it's been outstanding with what he's been able to do. Um, and you look at him, it's, just, it's hard to find holes in his game. Uh, the size is there. The athleticism is there. Uh, he's so aggressive at the catch point. Uh, he goes up and he'll get it. Reliable hands. Um, he'll climb the ladder. And then he showed he can do something after the catch. He has some vision, has the foot quickness. Um, he can create separation. So I, I think, you know, there's some little things here and there he can improve upon. But Kevin White, uh, to me, this is looking like a player that's going to crash the first round. Uh, potentially, you know, maybe that late first round, as long as he keeps this up. And you mentioned Clint Trickett. Uh, the development of Trickett has really helped White. And I think those two are helping them, each other uh, on the young season. But um, Kevin White, he's really established himself as, at least in my opinion, the top senior wide receiver prospect this year. 
and a guy that could potentially break into that top 32 pick next spring. Wow, that's that's really impressive considering where he was when the season started. Uh, a guy who, you know, when I watched the Alabama game, I watched the Alabama game on TV as it was going on, he really, really jumped out early on. So White obviously able to sustain that success. Another guy I really, really wanted to ask you about specifically, because I think you were one of the first guys to mention this kid's name, and that's Brandon Bridge, the quarterback out of South Alabama, an Alcorn State transfer, 6'5", 235. He, uh, he, he resides in that, that home away from home for us, Lad Peebles Stadium down there in Mobile. What, what have you seen from Brandon Bridge? I watched that Mississippi State game, and that kid is impressive. He's got a lot of tools. Right. And, you know, we can look at the box scores, and they're not always pretty. Uh, this past weekend, under 50% completions. And uh, against Mississippi State, uh, the final stat line wasn't very impressive. But when you watch the tape, uh, you look at the, 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 the tools. And that's, you know, when NFL scouts are looking at, uh, at these prospects, especially the quarterback position, they're looking for traits. And Brandon Bridge has those. Uh, you know, a big kid, like you mentioned, 6'5", 235. He's athletic. Um, and that, that arm, he, he can put the ball wherever he wants on the field with zip, with velocity. Um, he, he reminds me some of a, a Colin Kaepernick type of prospect. He's not the same type of athlete, but he has a similar type of arm, a similar type of size, um, and he can really spin it all over the field. And so you're talking about a kid who, watching him, he, he has a good understanding of, of situations. Uh, I think he sees the field well. He's poised in the pocket. Uh, there, there are, you know, like most college quarterbacks, especially one who hasn't started, uh, Bridge is his first year as a full-time guy. Um, mechanics need tightened up. Pocket presence, uh, you know, has room to improve. But uh, Bridge, definitely a guy to keep on your radar. You mentioned last people Stadium. I think there's a good chance we see Bridge at the Senior Bowl next year. I mentioned this is not a great group of senior quarterbacks. And, you know, Marcus Mariota, Brett Hundley, they will be eligible for the Senior Bowl being redshirt juniors. But assuming they don't go, um, you know, trying not to hurt their draft stock, assuming they don't go and it's just seniors, uh, Sean uh, Mannion, Bryce Petty, I think those two guys are going. But then after that, you know, you have Bo Wallace, maybe Taylor Kelly, Brandon Bridge, and Andrew Remember, the guy who potentially earned one of the six senior bowl roster spots in being mobile. Dan, one last guy I wanted to ask you about, Doran Grant, the cornerback from Ohio State. Uh, big kid, 5'10", 193, not the fastest kid. You know, some people time him in the 4'5 range. Plays boundary corner for for Ohio State. I watched the game against Virginia Tech. I think he's got a lot of confidence in man coverage, uh, his ability up to play against the line of scrimmage. Not really a, a prototypical press corner in terms of getting his hands on receivers at the line of scrimmage, but seems comfortable down the field playing in man. What have you seen from this guy so far this fall? Yeah, you know what? I'm a Big Ten guy, um, so I, I focus a lot on Ohio State, and uh, I've seen a lot of Doran Grant, seen him kind of grow up uh, over the years, because he, he came out of uh, Canton, I believe, and he was a top recruit, and over the first few years, it, it was it was slow moving for him, the development kind of was taking his time, but uh, last year started to show some improvement, uh, showed improvement as a run defender, better awareness, better technique. Um, his size is, is adequate for the position, has an okay body type. Um, and then this year, I think, I think he's doing a better job of staying patient, trusting what he sees. He has those natural ball skills that you want. He's not an elite size, uh, you know, height, length, speed type of guy that, you know, is going to just blow you away with the measurables. Um, but I think he's showing a better understanding of what to look for, 
And then you mentioned it is confidence. He's showing improved confidence, which you know is obviously important for the position. But uh, Dorian Grant, a guy who I think once we get in the Big Ten play um, in Ohio State, you know they when they go up against the likes of uh, you know, Connor Cook at Michigan State, um, they have to go to East Lansing this year. Uh, they have to go to Penn State and face uh, Christian Hackenberg. You know when he has to go and face these quarterbacks. You know this weekend, Gunnar Keel in Cincinnati. When he's going up against these quarterbacks, it'll be great test for him uh, to see what he can do because that that Ohio State defense, especially in the secondary, uh, much maligned from a year ago. But Grant, they're really relying on him to be a leader. So uh, Grant, this is a big senior year for him. Uh, scouts are watching, a big opportunity. We'll see how he performs. Dane Bruger, you are the man. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky Football Podcast. Hope to have you on later on again this fall. Anytime, friend. Thank you. All right, so that's going to do it for this week for the Eagle Eye in the Sky Football Podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We'll be back next week after the Eagles play the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to preview next week's matchup. We'll talk some college football once again. And, hey, we'll, we'll continue making some stuff up here as we uh, get along here with the 2014 NFL season. Thanks, everybody. Have a great Eagles week.